0: If someone were to ask, how would you explain the meaning of the gospel? Sometimes people, even those who have received the gospel message of Jesus, have difficulty communicating its meaning to others. In this episode, Carly uses scripture to help us gain insight into the gospel. As you become confident in your understanding of the gospel message, your confidence in conveying it to others will also increase. Before listening to this episode, you may find it helpful to download the corresponding outline as a reference.
1: encountered a salesperson who is kind and friendly and easily approachable with a desire to serve you? But once you start asking questions, you quickly realize they don't have a personal understanding of the product or services you're asking about? In a much similar way, we represent the gospel of Christ Jesus. In doing so, we of course want to be intentional in being kind and friendly to others, easily approachable with a desire to serve them. Yet there's more to being a representative of the gospel. We need to be able to communicate the gospel well to others and be able to answer any questions people may have. Therefore, it's essential to first have a clear understanding of the gospel for ourselves. So what is the gospel? Well, the word gospel means good news. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. In Romans one 16 through 16-17, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. For in the gospel a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This passage of scripture is a good resource for explaining the gospel. First, It tells us that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. In light of God's righteousness, we recognize that we are sinful and in need of salvation or deliverance from sin. It then explains that Jesus is God's powerful means to bring people to salvation. And lastly, God's gift of righteousness is made available through salvation to those who believe by faith alone in Christ alone. These verses also tell us that Paul was unashamed of the gospel or good news of Jesus because he had personal experience and full confidence of its saving work. Paul recognized the gospel as God's powerful demonstration of his love for us and gift of grace. Now, good news of any kind is most often recognized and appreciated when compared to bad news. For example, if a doctor were to tell you that you're going to require surgery, that sounds like bad news. However, if the doctor goes on to tell you that you're going to need to have surgery to remove a cancerous growth and the surgery will save your life, the surgery becomes the good news in contrast to hearing about the cancerous growth, which is now perceived as bad news. There's a possibility that a person within their lifetime may receive bad news concerning their physical condition. Yet, it's a guarantee that each of us was born with bad news concerning our spiritual condition we each have a terminal condition, called sin. In Psalm fifty one five, the Psalmist writes, Surely I was sinful from birth. Genesis eight two says, Every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. There's no doubt that we were born with a sinful nature. Romans six twenty three begins by telling us that the wages of sin is death. That means that sin comes with a price. If personal sin is not remedied, it will eventually end in death. The death referred to here is not just a physical death, but a spiritual one. A permanent death and separation from holy God for all eternity. That's bad news. But look with me again at Romans 6.23. This passage begins with bad news and ends with extraordinary good news. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please don't miss this. The nature of sin is death. So if we remain in sin, it will result in death. But the nature of God is loving, compassionate, just, and forgiving. God longs to express His love to us through forgiveness of sin. 1 John 4, 9-10 says, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Holy God set the penalty for sin as death. Because He is just, God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. Yet, because He is loving and compassionate, He provided a way to pay the penalty for sin that no human could ever pay. First Peter 318 tells us, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Our debt of sin wasn't canceled. It was paid for in full by the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. We will look at numerous scriptures in this episode to examine the gospel more fully. While doing so, it's important that we refrain from complicating the gospel message. The gospel is simply the good news that we can experience salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. As important as it is to understand what the gospel is, it's also important to know what the gospel is not. The gospel is good news, but it's not just any good news. It's the only message that has the power to save lives. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, the Apostle Paul wrote this, The gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. We know that words can persuade and influence people in various ways. Yet words alone cannot save people. The gospel is not just merely words, it is the saving truth of God's salvation and backed with the power of the Holy Spirit, who has the influence on the human soul. We know that words can persuade and influence people in various ways. Yet words alone cannot save people. The gospel is not just merely words. It is the saving truth of God's salvation and backed with the power of the Holy Spirit who has influence on the human soul. The powerful work of the Holy Spirit reveals eternal truth, creating deep conviction within a person's heart while also drawing them with God's love to receive salvation. Notice what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Concerning the powerful effects on those who receive the gospel. He says, But we ought also to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. The gospel is also not something that can be acquired or achieved by human effort. Ephesians 2 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. God's grace is undeserved. It can't be earned or purchased. That means that there is no available way to pay for the penalty of sin. No amount of work or volunteer hours would merit such atonement. Romans 4, 4 through 5 tells us, To the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited as righteousness. Salvation is also not based on what could be considered good or religious acts. Titus 3, 4-7 says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Embracing the gospel requires faith because it's counterintuitive to human reasoning. Think about it. Most people believe that you can't get something valuable for nothing, right? Also, many areas of our culture are merit-based. It honors and rewards self-achievement and promotes becoming task-oriented. For these reasons, it's difficult for some people to grasp the message of God's free gift of salvation, yet it's fundamental to the gospel. In further considering those things that the gospel is not, the gospel is not merely a free ticket to heaven. Please don't misunderstand— The Bible teaches that heaven is a real place that God has prepared for those who believe in Him to live with Him for eternity. However, living forever in heaven with Jesus is a benefit of accepting His gospel, not the reason for accepting it. If a person wants to accept the good news of Jesus to merely avoid hell, they may miss recognizing their personal need for salvation from sin. The gospel brings salvation to those who place their faith in Jesus alone, not heaven, or anything else for that matter. As we consider the biblical truths that do and do not make up the gospel, the significance of understanding the complete gospel becomes apparent. In order to understand the full message of the good news of Jesus, it may be helpful for you to follow along with me using the illustration entitled The Great Commission and the Gospel, found in this episode outline. In past episodes, we've used an illustration showing simple words and phrases used to describe the Great Commission found in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28:19 through 20 Jesus commissions us, His followers. He says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Just to review, We've learned that prior to a person entering into a relationship with Jesus, they are lost. A person becomes a disciple at the point of salvation, then continues to respond in obedience to Jesus by learning to obey all his commands. Are you recognizing the gospel message within the Great Commission? Using the illustration, let's look at it more closely together. First, It's important to understand our human condition prior to believing by faith in Jesus. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek us, to pursue us with his love, to save us, to rescue us from sin. Apart from Jesus' intervention in our lives, we are lost in our sin without direction or hope. Colossians 1.21 tells us that before we were reconciled to Christ, we were alienated from God, actual enemies of Him. Through these verses, we see an unbeliever's sinful state and need for a Savior to reconcile them to God. That's a picture of the bad news we've previously talked about. Now for the good news of the gospel. Romans five eight says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So let's get this clear in our minds. These verses prove that Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross was a complete and finished work, and it occurred while we were still sinners. Then he rose to life again. The Bible provides further proof of this in Paul's letter to the believers in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 151 through 9 Paul writes this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. These verses show that Jesus was buried, which serves as evidence that he died for our sins. Then he was seen by eyewitnesses after he was raised to life on the third day, proving the gospel message to be true, that Jesus overcame sin and death on the cross, atoning for our sins and providing us with eternal life. Following along with our illustration, let's now turn our attention to what happens at salvation. The gospel makes salvation possible, but it requires a personal response. In Revelation 3.20, the Lord says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Second Peter three nine tells us that the Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. The Lord patiently waits outside the door of a sinner's heart, longing for them to open their lives to him. He knocks to draw attention to himself through his word and the conviction of his spirit. And with each knock, a request for a response is made. This is very similar to someone who knocks on our front door or rings our doorbell. Sometimes we don't hear the knock because we're distracted by other noises vying for our attention. Sometimes we hear it, but we're too consumed with our own plans to answer it, or we think we'll deal with it later when it's more convenient for us, or we peer out the window to see who it is to determine whether or not we desire to deal with them, don't we? Make no mistake, the Lord Jesus is a gentleman. He will not force entry into our lives. He waits for us to yield our hearts and lives to Him. For the person who does so, Jesus promises to abide in them and with them. Let's take a time out here to gain a greater understanding of a person's proper response to the gospel. You see, the Bible is consistent throughout, flawless, perfect. It often, however, says the same thing in a different way. Let me give you some examples. In Acts 2, 36 through 38 while preaching the gospel peter said this therefore let all israel be assured of this god has made this jesus whom you crucified both lord and messiah when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice what transpired here. Peter explains to the crowd that God has made Jesus the Messiah and Lord. He is the Messiah, meaning that Jesus is the prophesied Savior and Deliverer. And he is Lord, Master, the one who has power and authority, control over all things. Verse 37 shows that when the people heard the good news of Jesus, they were cut to the heart. This means that the gospel penetrated their heart, where genuine change occurs. Then they asked Peter what they should do in response to the gospel, and Peter replied, Repent. You see, a person cannot do what the Messiah, the Lord, has already done for them. They need only to respond to Jesus' gift by repenting. To repent is to come to a place of deep sorrow for one's sin, to change, not to strive to modify behavior through self-effort, but to change our minds, to change the way we think concerning allowing Jesus to have authority and control in our lives, to effect transforming change from the inside out. Second Corinthians 7.10 tells us that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death merely being remorseful for sin or sorrow that personal sin has been exposed will fail to result in salvation. A response to the gospel that leads to salvation is to be sorrowful over sin that leads to a change of heart, mind, and path in life. You may be thinking, we're now talking about repentance in response to the gospel when all along we've been talking about faith. Which is it? Well, it's actually both. Look again with me at Acts 2.38. Peter told the people to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. He was telling them to change, repent, and place their faith in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Let's look at another passage of scripture that states this same truth in a different way. Romans 10, 9-10. It says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. To declare that Jesus is Lord is to publicly acknowledge not only his deity, but acceptance of his lordship, allowing him to reign freely in one's heart and life. That means that a person repents by turning from pursuing their own way to allowing Jesus to have his way. In addition to acknowledging surrender to Jesus' lordship with their mouth, this verse says that there must be belief in one's heart. This is meant to testify that the words spoken are not a result of merely passing thoughts, but stem from genuine, heartfelt belief in Jesus. We can clearly see that it is the gospel that reveals God's plan of salvation. Some people would say that the goal of the gospel is to lead people to salvation. This practice is often referred to as evangelism, and that's what we've been talking about, the power of the gospel for salvation. But did God intend for that to be the only goal of the gospel? Is that the end goal? Think about it. If the end goal of the gospel becomes evangelism, discipleship can become secondary or, sadly, could be overlooked altogether. The message of the gospel is that Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin and the bondage of sin. In other words, we were saved from the penalty of sin when we accepted God's gift of grace. Then Jesus continues to save us from the bondage of sin as His Spirit takes increasing control over our lives. That means that the gospel is to be shared with non-believers to encourage a relationship with Jesus and with Christ followers to develop spiritual maturity. Romans 1.17 tells us, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Receiving the gospel is clearly the starting point of salvation and discipleship, not the end goal. Otherwise, people may merely view Jesus as Savior without acknowledging Him as Lord. As ruler of all, Jesus requires his followers to believe in him as Lord by continually relinquishing the control and authority of their lives to him. This is a process. Let's examine this point further because it's a very important one. In presenting the gospel message, you may have heard people ask the question, Have you accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life? Remember, we learn from Acts 2.36 that God made Jesus both Savior and Lord. Some people are willing to embrace Jesus as Savior, removing their penalty of sin, but are reluctant to embrace him as Lord, yielding authority of their life over to him. If receiving salvation were God's only goal, there would be no need for lordship. Philippians 2.12-13 tells us, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Interesting, isn't it? This verse tells us to work out our own salvation while also telling us that it is God that works in us. You see, at salvation, God provides his indwelling Holy Spirit to each believer to work in and through them to accomplish his will. Our work is is to consistently yield more and more control of our lives to the Holy Spirit's power, giving Him authority to work in our hearts and lives. Our commission to make disciples also confirms this point. It says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We can see this laid out in the illustration, the Great Commission in the Gospel. At the initial acceptance of God's grace, a person is made a disciple of Jesus. This is the starting point of a lifetime of discipleship. The next step of obedience is to be baptized, followed by continuing in the process of learning to obey everything God commands. As a side note, you can learn much more about the subject of baptism by listening to the podcast entitled Baptism. Now, back to the subject at hand— I sometimes use the following illustration to help people understand salvation and lordship. Let's say that you've received an invitation to become a citizen of another country. The country has a totally different culture, economy, laws, etc. than the country of your current citizenship. You accept the invitation and immediately become a citizen of the new country. That means that you are now obligated to to follow all the laws of this new country while you also have full access to all the privileges the new country provides don't miss this although your response to the invitation immediately made you a citizen of the new country and has placed you under the authority of its rule it will take time to learn the culture economy and laws of the new country in order to comply it's a process in a similar way God's kingdom operates in total opposition to the world's way of doing things. When a person accepts Jesus' invitation to become a citizen of his kingdom, they have immediate access to all of his privileges, while also being obligated to follow all his commands. That means that even though at salvation, a person declares Jesus as Lord of their life, it takes time and practice to learn to walk in obedience to him. Let's look at our outline illustration once again. Learning to walk in obedience to God's commands is the end goal of salvation. The goal of the gospel is for us to experience the fully transformed life Christ Jesus offers. When considering the gospel, for most people, one verse comes to mind, John 3.16. You may know it from memory. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes shall not perish. Why? Because Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin that leads to death. And John 3.16 tells us that whoever believes will have eternal life. Many people have been led to believe that the term eternal life used in this verse is referring to merely living forever in heaven. But it's much more than that. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. For a Christ follower, eternal life doesn't begin after we die. Eternal life is to know Jesus experientially, to relish in the benefits of God's grace and the fullness of His nature now through an abiding relationship with Him. 1 Timothy 6.12 makes a similar point in a different way. It says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. When we accept God's gift of salvation, we enter into an abiding relationship with Jesus. We are then to continue to take hold of the benefits of eternal life afforded to us by His death and resurrection. As I close this episode... I thought you would be encouraged to hear a letter written by Paul to fellow believers in Philippians 1, 3-11. Since God's word remains true and applicable today, I hope you will embrace his words and identify with them in your own life. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.
0: When we hear a word we don't often use or are unfamiliar with, we have to research its meaning to gain understanding. But if the word we hear is one that we regularly use and experience, then it's natural, even automatic, for us to be able to communicate its meaning to others. In the same way, in making disciples, it will be helpful to grow in your understanding of the meaning of the gospel. In doing so, you will become increasingly prepared to naturally share it with others.